just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? Oh, no. No, no, no. I can't do this. I'm sorry. This is fine for covering a little bulge, but now I've got holster hips. People wish to kill you. Anyone who's met you, I imagine. A disguise is necessary to protect us all. And while you are here, you will conduct yourself as a nun. Only I will know who and what you truly are. You will draw no attention to yourself whatsoever. But look at me. I'm a nun. I'm a, I'm a penguin. As from now and until you leave, you are Sister Mary Clarence. You have reached the Colorado Springs chapter of the Ku Klux Klan. Please leave a message. And God bless white America. Hello. This is Ron Stallworth calling. I saw your advertisement in the Colorado Springs Gazette. I'm interested in receiving some reading materials from you. My phone number is 103-9994. I'm very much looking forward to you returning my call. Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus Acco, and I love Hamilton. I am Laura Sampson, and I love Hamilton. The uh, filmed, the film theatre production, and the theatre production itself. Hello, I'm David Campbell, and I still haven't seen Hamilton, so I'll just have to, I'll have to just wait for you to, to spoil it what? for me. We'll just have to do another episode on it. Sorry. You, you what? I've been busy. Did you save? What? I, I've been busy. I've been busy, and I've seen Hamilton four times since yeah, it came out on Disney+. You Plus. watch things all over the place. You've got a camera right in front of your face watching whatever, <laughs> so, you know. I've had other things to do, so. Sure, okay, fair enough. I agree. I do. I, I'm, a, I'm a weirdo in that regards. But it, it, Hamilton, in, as Laura actually accurately pointed out, is a stage show, and it's now uh, debuted on um, Disney+, and it's there for anybody to watch. If you can get Disney+, Plus, if you get the subscription for Disney+, Plus, you can watch Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, Hamilton, and it is... Oh, it is breathtaking. It is amazing. You know how you hear uh, a lot of people talk about, you know, there's a great big hype about various shows, various TV shows, various films, uh, theater, theatrical productions, etc. And you hear a lot of people talking about it and you say, nah, you know, it's probably just overhyped. You watch it and you're like, yeah, so, so on and so forth. I had an idea that maybe that might be what's with Hamilton because a lot of people, I mean, it came out in 2015 and people have not stopped talking about it since then. And I watched it last weekend and boy, that blew me away. It is, every single song is memorable. Um, it's, for those who don't know what Hamilton is about, it is Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, retelling of uh, the story of Alexander Hamilton, one of America's uh, founding forefathers, just talking about 
his move from the Caribbean to um, to America, him meeting certain key figures in pol in American history, and sort of joining the revolution and sort of instigating and leading and going on uh, Washington's being Washington's right hand man uh, and basically helping bring about not just on his own, obviously, and that like a lot of. TV shows and a lot of films that sort of dramatize the American Revolution always have a name check the Patriot with Mel Gibson in there uh, being the single-handed single-handedly winning the war for Americans. Hamilton doesn't do that. He they they show they give um, proper uh, accolade and proper um, respect to certain other figures who had impact in the war, etc. But it carries on and it doesn't just stop there. It goes on to some other. Uh, incidents that happened in his life, and I won't spoil it. I know, uh, David, I know you said spoil it. I don't, I'm not going to spoil Hamilton, not yet. It is fresh. It has just come out. Go and check it out if you can. Um, even if you can't check it out, go and get Spotify. Spotify. Spotify is free. You can get the playlist on Spotify and just because it's a musical. So every song on the playlist, effectively, it plays out the story. You just miss out on the visuals. So It's almost... It's almost through sung as well, isn't it? So there's almost no talking. It's just singing and rapping. They're very, yeah, it's, it's mostly rapping. So if, if I were to say in percentages, and everybody that knows me knows I'm terrible at this, but let's say in percentages, it is about 5%, no, there's 3% talking, 3 to 5% just general talking. Uh, it is maybe 15 to, no, I'd say probably about uh, 20 to 25% singing. And then the rest is rap uh, and it's different styles of rap as well. If you're a fan of rap, even if you're not a fan of rap, check it out because it's amazing. And they have different styles of rap. And I watched a, an interview with Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, straight afterwards. And he talked about how he, he, the different styles of rapping that he was using and in, in, that he borrowed from to have different characters do different bits. He essentially did it in the sense of, of the progression. So you see at the very beginning, the three friends, Lafayette, um, Hercules, uh, Mulligan, and uh, John Lawrence, they start off with the, like the early day Rakim style rap. And then he comes in with a new flavor of rap and then they all blend in. And it goes into, if you're a fan of speed rapping, you need to check out Lafayette and uh, that played by the actor uh, David Diggs, who if you're watching Snowpiercer on Netflix, he is phenomenal. He is phenomenal. It's like he puts, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say he puts Eminem to the test because obviously Eminem has proven that he can withstand what he's doing, but his style of rapping, his flow is just unshakable. Um, anyway, and it's, it's not just him as well. There are other uh, uh, the actresses as well. I, I keep forgetting her name. I need to make a note of it. She plays um, Angelica on it. I've seen her in other things as well. She's popped up in different other things. And there's this one song that she sang, which is um, Satisfied and Satisfied breaks my heart every time anyway go and check out hamilton anyway today is not about hamilton you're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm i'm marcus e Acco. i'm laura sampson i'm david campbell excellent so i i can see on the zoom call producer dave is giving me the wind up he's like stop talking dude move on move on move on move on so we promised that we were going to do a spoiler uh spoiler episode for the for the spike lee film black clansman and that's what we're going to do Today, let me ask first. David, you have seen Black Clansman, correct? Oh, yes. oh gosh. Excellent. Yeah. Laura, you've seen Black Clansman. Yes, I have. 
Fantastic. So, Laura, do you want to give? I, I love throwing Laura under the bus for this one. Laura, can you give us a su su succinct description of what Black Klansman is? Uh, yeah, a uh, a young black cop um, who has high ambitions goes undercover um, and infiltrates the um, the Ku Klux Klan using a colleague of his, a white Jewish colleague of his as a um, kind of physical cover-up. That's, uh, that's pretty, pretty much good. it. <laughs> uh, I also want to clarify that it, it, it's, it, I want to add, it, it, this is set in um, 1970 oh, in the, Colorado, in the, in the 70s, yes. Yeah. Uh, if you say, well, that happened in 2001, that would never work. They just face, you know, um, Google him and he'll be fine. No, there's no such thing as Google at that point. So it's all uh, dial-up phones and whatnot. Oh, and I fell down on the timing. Oh, well, yes. When no, it's, it's very important, isn't it? Who, what, when, why, why when. <laughs> It's okay. At least it's, you know, you, you got the main points down. So the main characters... Uh, or the main who, actors, what, and why I got, but you had you to got, do who, when what, and why. where. I, I added when and where. So, but that's fine. It, you know, it still helps. Uh, so Ron Stallworth is played by uh, John David Washington. I think he's phenomenal in, phenomenal in the film. Um, the white partner that you mentioned uh, is played by Adam Driver. Those of you recognize Adam Driver from uh, as Kylo Ren from the Star the Star Wars movies. Um, if you if you're not a Star Wars fan, he is. Uh, I, I think he's Adam in in the TV show Girls. That's the first thing I saw him in um, ages ago, and I thought he was phenomenal in that. He was my favorite character in that show, and I think he's good as Kylo Ren. I think he's great as Kylo Ren, but he is excellent in Black Klansman as well. You see the duality that he plays, where he's a he's a Jewish police officer. It's, he's sort of in the middle of, you know, in the thick of things. He's the one who has to present the white face of Ron Stallworth when he goes to meet the uh, the the clan, and it is. And he's shocking. so much. He's so much less uh, uh, kind of. He's so much less full of himself than than Ron Stallworth's character as well. So you can see Adam Driver's character being quite nervous but trying to hide it because he's kind of in competition with his colleague as well like who can who can do you know who can be the most audacious or you know Absolutely. can he rise to his his challenge and it, I think that's funny because I always think of Adam Driver as you know the one who a kind of a, a proselytizing one he plays priests and you know that those kind of uh, and sort of leaders in lots and lots of his films. John David Washington uh, always seems quite low-key in his performances, but ends up packing a massive punch as well. Uh, I don't know, I had kind of a similar feeling about when I first saw Matt Damon, I think. You know, he, he he's kind of, you don't expect him to end up being as powerful a character as he always ends up. Anyway, keep going. Jumping. No, no, so I agree with all the points that you raised. John David Washington, uh, you may recognize him with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, it was on Sky Atlantic fairly recently. It finished its uh, five-season run, I believe, on Sky Atlantic. And he is uh, a football player who uh, sort of gets addicted to some pain pills and so on and so forth. And he's David, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's best friend on the show. Anyway, but that's that's where I first saw him in. And I, then he started popping up in different other things. But he is he's also very good. And I, I see your point. It's sort of, um, he's that, he comes across as that overly confident, 
a, a black police officer in an all-white, um, uh, or I'd say mostly, yeah, all-white all police station, right? And he strolls in and he's like, look, I'm, he has the, the chip on his shoulder that he is good at his job. And it's true, he is good at his job. But obviously because it's 70s Colorado, um, he's sort of being relegated to the side. And then he stumbles upon this advert that he just does a call, Bit does a voice. Context there because um, Ron Storwood was the first black uh, officer in that Colorado station. Absolutely, because it's based on a true story, right? Yeah, based on a true story. And where he was first assigned to the records office where he, he was in the background and he had to actually request a move to undercover work, which they granted him. And that's when he stumbled on that advert. So he then um, gave them a call and asked to become a member or for information about becoming a clan member. No, absolutely. And if from, uh, from what he, Ron Stallworth has said himself, that the film is pretty, obviously the film takes some liberties, but the main liberty that it actually takes is the uh, the character of um, the, the character played by Adam Driver uh, because it was in real life they used multiple white police officers to play Ron Stallworth the white version of Ron Stallworth while whenever it was on the phone it was him the actual um, Ron Stallworth that was dealing with all the phone conversations or whatever however whenever they need to go and do meetings and whatnot it would be different police officers that would go do that but obviously narratively speaking that wouldn't work. So it was great to center it in this one actor and Adam Driver just delivers it. And Laura, I agree with your point where you, you see that sort of, that, that's, that you see the, you, you see this, the difference Adam Driver brings to both parts of his character. The character where he, when he's playing himself, when he's himself in the police station, he is reserved. He tries not to push too many buttons. He's not aggressive, especially even when people say things about, you know, Jews and, you know, the fact that the KKK, not only, they didn't only hate blacks, they hated Jews as well. But see, there was that simmering anger that was there. But when he played Ron Stallworth in, in public, you see the aggression come out. You could actually, you could, there, there's this one scene in particular where there's this one member, and there's just a tension as well. There's this, uh, this one member of the, uh, of the clan who just doesn't trust Ron Stallworth, right? Doesn't, doesn't trust him for whatever reason. And he keeps saying that you look Jewish. You look Jewish. There's something that is off about you. And he keeps bringing him into situations where it's threatening. And it's like, like the basement scene where he brings him down there and puts a gun and puts a lie detector test on the table, uh, a lie detector machine on the table and says, strap this up. And, then, and you can see Adam Driver, know his, he knows what's going on. He knows that he's in a basement. His support is is not quick enough to be able to get to him if anything goes wrong. Um, but then you see him switch that and use that aggression, right? So you can see he's channeling it. While he denies completely being Jewish, you can tell from the aggression that he delivers towards this his accuser that it's 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 sort of there's a hidden context behind that. He's angry at him for all the stuff he's saying about Jews but he's channeling it in a way that is not to give, give away his cover. I, every scene in that, the, every scene in the movie I love, I think it was structured brilliantly. I have one complaint with Black Clansman though, one complaint. Um, and obviously it's, it's, it's towards the end. There's a bit, there's a subplot in the story with a racist cop that's been giving 
Ron Stallworth issues throughout the entire film, right? Um, he's oh, a, the, yeah. the patrol cop, right? Been giving him, he's been, he's been running against him constantly. In fact, that patrol cop is effectively the embodiment of the racism that Ron Stallworth encounters in the police station. In fact, he's the entire embodiment of it because everyone else is, if you, if you watch it, everyone else is actually practically, with the exception of one tiny little incident, but everyone else is pretty, pretty accepting of him, um, except that one patrol officer. And that, that, the, the culmination of that story with that one patrol officer, it, it, there was a, it, it, I'd say it's like a 10 minute sequence with him the, you know, the bar sequence and when he gets busted and then coming into the mm. police station and everyone's yeah. cheering. And I'm like, okay, it kind of moved into schmaltzy sentimentality for me. And I was like, come on, Spike, you can do this. Is, it, it, please just cut that bit out. But then as soon as he gets to the police station, the rug is pulled from under him and the case is closed. And I'm like, okay, now we're back. It's sort of, I, I don't know if it's just the cynic or the pessimist to me that was saying, come on, you're not going to end the movie like this, right? You're not going to end it where, and we all lived happily ever after and racism was cured. And that's not how it ends. But it's just that 10 minute schmaltzy scene that for me, the bit where I, what did you think about it? Well, that's, I thought that was a really wonderful thing about it. And, and it was really um, an example. Uh, yeah, a kind of the, the longest and most melodramatic example of throughout the whole film, you, um, you know, you're watching it kind of like a hero's hero journey film. You know, Ron Stallworth gets a gets into the Colorado Springs police. Yes, gets into the Ku Klux Klan. Yes, he um, he um, gets a really beautiful girlfriend. Nearly loses her, but gets her back. Um, you know, so but during all of those things, he's winning, and then someone someone says. Um, someone said something that could never be the case like um you know um we could uh you know we could never have a um Ku Klux Klan member racist as a as the US president or something you know, something like that and then uh everyone's like oh no 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 of course not of course not never and as the audience yeah there's all kinds of i don't know it's sort of a dramatic irony within the film so the film to the people in the film or say it was made in the 70s the people watching it in the 70s they'd see one film but we 40 or 50 years later we're seeing a completely different film because we know what all those heroic moments led to other moments of violence and you know um black police officers being ostracized by various you know so um so yeah just that that is kind of a clever and absorbing way that Spike Lee makes, um, you know, brings the audience of now into the film without I, breaking the 70s-ness I, of it. Absolutely. And like, let me, if I can clarify a little bit more. Um, I love the way he ended the movie. I absolutely love the way he ended the movie. Um, what I was just, it was just, it was that scene. It was the scene in the bar, particularly because it is it, for that one cop. And I guess the more I think about it and the more I talk it through, maybe that's what he was doing, right? Where, as in Spike Lee was doing, because the scene in question is where, um, it, during the film, obviously, like I said, the patrol officer has been giving, um, Ron Starworth stick, but then there's a bit where 
uh, Ron Stallworth, the, 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 I, I can't remember her name, the lady who plays Ron Stallworth's um, girlfriend, um, she is accosted by the patrol officer. She, you know, uh, early on in the film where she stopped and searched and, and sort of manhandled by the patrol officer. And at the end, the culmination of his story is they're all in a bar and he comes in and he kind of confesses in a mocking tone to Ron Stallworth and the girlfriend that, you know, yes, I was a police officer who did that and there's nothing you can do about it. And they all turn around and announce and it's like, oh, did you get that? Did you get that? And Adam Driver's on the other booth and it's like, yes, I got that. I have the microphone right here. And they take it and the boss steps in and says, yeah, you're fired. Pack your bag. And it, it's, it seemed very, so it seemed overly surreal, right? Almost like dream. It is, you can imagine that, that if, if it turned out that, that was a dream, that would make total sense. It would make total sense. David, what do you think about that? I was going to say that um, the actress was Laura Harrier. Um, Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Uh, and she played, uh, uh, um, those of you, she plays um, uh, Peter Parker's girlfriend in Spider-Man Homecoming. Not far from home, but Homecoming. Um, I'm not going to spoil for who else she is in that. In that. But anyway, that's who she is. Um, so that, that scene itself, that scene itself sort of plays out like a dream sequence. Um, and I was watching it and it's like a 10 minute sequence of the film. And I'm just thinking, okay, please don't end it here. Please don't end it here. And he gets back to the station and the rug gets pulled up from under him. And literally the way it's even marked is with the, with no music, the music stops and he, they're all in the police or in the, the uh, captain's office. And he's giving them the news that they're shutting down the case. And I'm like, okay, we're back. We're back to reality. You didn't cure racism. Racism still exists. You might've busted one police officer but racism still exists. And then the, the through line going towards the end, uh, sorry, David, I will throw back to you in a second. Just the sequence at the end where he's in the apartment with his girlfriend and there's a knock on the door. And not only, because when does that knock on the door? At, at a point earlier on, we've already established that the, the clan already have seen him, seen where he lives. So they know where he lives, but obviously it's mistaken for someone else. And then they move away from it. But that knock on the door, and then they go out, and you don't see where it, or it ends with the burning cross outside the building. And you can tell that that is basically, and then, and then the tie from that bit where it just time jumps to current events, well, current events at the time, with the, um, the, uh, Charlotte's, the Charlottesville march and Tiki torches and everything. And it blends in as the same movie. I thought was, Perfect. The perfect way to end the film. Sorry, David, I, I interrupted you. Well, well, no, in actual fact, you, I, I was just going to move it on a little bit because um, you, you, you didn't mention that it had Harry Bolafonte in the film as well, um, who was recounting the lynching of, I think it was Jesse Williams, Jess Williams. Um, and also throughout, well, there was a scene in there it was the scene where you saw the clans people sitting down watching, what was it? Birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation, yes. And I'd heard of the film, but never seen it. So after seeing Black Klansman, I went to look for it. And it's, it's on YouTube. And if you're willing to sit there for three hours, you can watch Birth of a Nation, which is uh, a bit of a revelation, to be quite honest. It's, uh, it cannot, it's, 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 grotesque in, in, in many ways. 
but I won't spoil that film. I'm not going to go on about that one. It's three hours long, so and I haven't watched all three hours. So some other well, there are other exceptions in Black Klansman which kind of like flesh out and round out the to totality of the story. No, absolutely, I agree, and yeah, you're right. In fact, the the bit with um, with Birth of a Nation is sort of it, it, you you it's it comes at a point where. Um, the white Ron Stallworth, in a sense, is actually being uh, accepted fully into the clan, while the black Ron Stallworth is there protecting um, the head of uh, David Duke, right? So that, there's all of that. And he has to sit there and watch them watch Birth of a Nation. And it's juxtaposed with Harry Belafonte's activist character in building on the other side of town with a whole bunch of young people and he's recounting the story of the lynching and you're seeing it back to back with these people guffawing and laughing and cheering at what they're watching on screen and Adam Driver's character as well watching it and having to fake his interest in what he's watching when you can clearly see that he is deeply offended by what he's watching uh, but yeah to that anyway, Black Clansman if you haven't seen it, go and check it out. It's on Sky Cinema at the moment. Uh, it's also on Netflix. It's just dropped on Netflix. Go check it out. It's a fantastic Spike Lee movie. It's it, it, Whenever I'm doing top fives for Spike Lee or any top five, really, that involves anything to do with that, it, Black Landsman's always going to be there. You, you're listening to Wait. Shoot the Breeze. Oh, sorry. Uh, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus C. Akko interrupting Laura. Laura Sampson. I'm Laura Sampson interrupting Marcus Akko. Um, I just wanted to add that if you haven't watched Black Klansman, when you watch it, really take notice, if, especially if you're a Spike Lee fan of the um, costume design. I think we haven't had time to talk about it here, but um, particularly when you watch it in, you know, in tandem with some, especially some of his earlier films, there's, there's definitely um, something that he and the costume designer are saying about the period and about the characters through the costumes. And uh, it's, a really, it's a really beautiful thing to focus on. And it slightly, I don't know, lightens the often quite heavy mood of it. Well, it Even though it is trying to be funny, yeah. 70s beautiful costumes. Yeah. Excellent. That's all. We also we also have producer Dave in the room, so let's not cut off producer Dave and producer Dave as well. Um, okay, so we have a packed show today. We've just finished spoiling Black Landsman. We're going to move on to talk about, um, we're going to have an interview with friend of the show, Bijang Tong, who's making major moves in, uh, in Asia. We'll let him talk more about it as we move into our next segment, which is film and TV news. <laughs> You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. And I'm David Campbell. And we're welcoming back. It's been way too long. Uh, obviously, COVID and everything has locked us down. And so we've not been in the studio. But even still, it's been way too long since we've had this voice in our ears, listening to us, talking to us, answering our questions. It is filmmaker, um, 
effectively the next let's say Scorsese or and I know I keep I keep I keep ranking I keep ramping it up and everyone's like yeah you say that about everybody uh, but this guy is a media mogul in the making and he's a friend of the show uh, welcome uh, Bijang Tong pleasure to be here thanks for uh, having me again not a problem. So, Bijan, yeah, okay. Um, Bijan, the last time you were in the studio with us, you were telling us about a number of projects you were working. You had just finished uh, The Escort, uh, which was your debut uh, feature, um, starring names. Yes, yes. Olivia Moyles. That's the one, yes. Uh, and then you, so you had that, and then you were developing another project, which was Night Rides, which you were going to be doing in the States. Uh, you were yep. also shooting a short uh, in, in Beverly Hills, and you were working on a trilogy of shorts, and you were working on some other projects as well. And then uh, our listeners sort of, for our listeners, you disappeared. Now, tell us <laughs> what has happened since you dropped off the face of the earth. <laughs> well, for one thing, uh, despite the background, I'm not in Springfield, but I did move. <laughs> So I've been in Hong Kong for exactly one year now, one year and one week. Uh, and yeah, during that time. Uh, so let's think we've had the pandemic <laughs> that's been occurring. So yeah, we've, it, there's been a lot happening activity wise, bizarrely. You've seen production shot down in Hollywood. Ironically, everything's been gearing up for me. Uh, so Night Ride is currently on the back burn because a road trip thriller in America isn't the best time <laughs> to be shooting that. No, not the best place and, to be in at the moment, no. <laughs> Definitely not. Oh. It's just have the entire movie, everyone's wearing a mask. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll have... stuff in an RV going in one direction in masks, yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the short film, so we did two. Uh, so I shot one, uh, Belfast, which actually um, uh, we did play it at Cannes. Uh, and then I also made another 30-minute short film called Karma. Uh, it's a crime thriller. Uh, which we've done, we, it's completed, but because of everything that's been going on, it hasn't released yet. So we're just waiting for everything to calm down. And then we'll and look that, to- that also, has, that also has Kevin Leslie in it as well, it right? It does. So yeah, he's the protagonist. Uh, so Karma was about a, a cigarette salesman who's caught up in a, in a robbery. Uh, and then he undergoes a moral odyssey as he is vigilantes while trying to escape. Uh, so yeah, so we did that one, and uh, and since then I've been doing a lot of projects. So I've recently signed with ATV. So ATV is Asia Television uh, in Hong Kong. So they're behind Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, as in the Hong Kong uh, <laughs> version of that, and various TV shows, films, and so on. And essentially, I'm the Asian Ryan Murphy. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, I'm here to develop a slate of projects, uh, film and series. So we're doing variety shows, we're doing narrative series, uh, we're doing movies, and we're doing that yeah, right now, injecting it over the course of the next year. And I'm excited about it because we're looking locally, we're looking internationally. Uh, yeah. So just just want just want to say for those people who didn't get the reference about Asian Ryan Murphy, Ryan Murphy is the showrunner behind Glee, um, American Horror Story. Uh, uh, practically a lot of any TV show or not any TV show but a lot of TV shows that have come out in the last decade that have been hits that have come from across usually has Ryan Murphy's name attached to it so essentially you're going to be working as the Asian Ryan Murphy coming up with are you going to are you going to be um, constructing the ideas and bringing them to fruition or are you going to be working with other 
storytellers, other writers, other producers to get their uh, projects on Asia TV? A mixture of both. So right now I'm developing a slate of projects uh, in-house. So I'm writing literally uh, this week, I've been writing a pilot for a series which you're going to go straight ahead into uh, to make the series for. Uh, we've got a couple of movies which I'll talk about, but at the same time, I'm engaging with producers, with filmmakers and, and so forth to try to see what content we can, we can bring in that we're excited about. In fact, I was meeting a, a filmmaker yesterday uh, to discuss uh, some of his own projects. Uh, aside from the, what I'm doing with ATV, I also have been busy launching a fund. Uh, so it's, I'm working with producers of The King's Speech and so forth. And what we're doing is we're creating entertainment media across the globe. So that's film, series, documentary, gaming, and working with uh, the big companies, the Pokemon company in Japan, uh, the biggest entertainment company in Korea. Um, we're working with uh, some Oscar oh, sorry, Oscar winning writers like Charles Fletcher, who wrote uh, the Oscar for, for Precious. Um, and we're developing a range of projects, again, across the globe that deal with social themes, whether it's about climate change, about racism, uh, about gender, uh, gender inequality. Uh, we're doing things that we, we believe will entertain audiences, but also help people think and help people help change the world, like Black Panther will get out of the gun. And uh, yeah, I mean, sorry, I was going to go back to ATV, and uh, I've got two movies which we're doing in the next few months. But uh, I'll let you ask the next question. <laughs> yeah, um, one of the questions I'd like to know is, um, you said that you're going to be working with a lot of partners. Can you um, just give us a, a, a flavor of the type of projects you're going to be doing with those partners? But also, tell us how people in Europe, particularly the UK, are going to be able to see those um, projects. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so with respect to partners, uh, sorry, I'll just confirm again. So the partners, it's the case of looking uh, like what kind of partners I'm working with? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's looking internationally. So we're talking to some major studios, both in the UK and the US, um, and then of course locally in Hong Kong and so on. Uh, we're talking to major talent, again, uh, locally, internationally, and uh, and, all the, and just various different companies. And we're open, you know, if you, if you have an idea, we'd love to hear it. Uh, and then some of them we're, we're pushing forward with. So in terms of the types of projects which we have, uh, to provide an example, to provide some flavor, uh, we're doing two which will be international in scope. So one involves triads, uh, so kind of triads uh, hunting some people who visit Hong Kong and it becomes a, an international thriller. Uh, we've got a project which is about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and so on, and kind of a considering what's going on right now, uh, kind of an East versus West underdog story, a group of young Hong Kongers who are trying to create the next Bitcoin, and they're facing a group of grizzled American bankers who know nothing about crypto, but they have the resources to accomplish it. Uh, we're doing uh, a couple of movies, which I'll talk about in a sec. And then in terms of accessing the, this content, uh, so it's a mixture of a few things. We're developing an app, kind of like an Asian Netflix, uh, so it should be available on the App Store, Play Store, etc. When it, when it launches. At the same time, uh, we're also working with distributors uh, to, to release uh, some of our content uh, in physical and VOD formats. And finally, we're also working or in talks, in discussions with some of the major broadcasting networks and studios for some of these international projects to to be released on the standard channels that you watch, whether it's on Sky, the BBC, uh, you know, the usual, the usual places.
Uh, so yeah, various means, uh, it shouldn't be a challenge to, to access the content. As long as you enjoy the entertainment, we want you to be able to receive it. Is there, uh, no, I, oh, sorry. Sorry. sorry, is there a timeline for the release of the app? Uh, not yet. We've just released the app last week, the new app in Asia. So I'm not sure yet when the uh, European equivalent will come, but uh, I'll let you know as soon as I do. Uh, so I wanted to ask, so over the years, we've had sort of uh, the massive influence of the Chinese movie uh, industry. I mean, over the, yeah, the decades, the Chinese yeah. movie industry has been extremely uh, influential, yeah. especially in Hollywood. Um, uh, so you're now at the, at the crux of influencing sort of, or in, getting incorporated in that sort of world. Um, what, is, what is it like? Since you've worked in the British uh, film industry, you've now worked in the Asia film industry. What are the significant differences that you've experienced between the two? Yeah, it's true. And I've also worked in LA as well. Um, and I think the biggest difference uh, is, it's, I would say, because I've always enjoyed working within the UK, I love making movies there, I did to America, but there's just this incredible workout ethic. And so working with them, they are passionate, they are talented, uh, as is the case in the UK and US, but they, will, they are relentless. They won't stop until they know that, that we're happy, that the overall shot is it's time. Always, it's always that. It's a case that, no, we need to get this right. And normally it's me who should be saying that, but this is a team. The team wants to get it right. Uh, and so they will work relentlessly to try to do it. And they are quick. I mean, we've seen the whole COVID situation how quickly they build. Uh, so it's the same in, in this case when it comes to filmmaking. Uh, as a crew, when they're building sets, um, when they're working, they're trying to be effective and efficient, which is... Yeah, I'm going yeah, uh, to try to listen at the moment um, because uh, we do have we we are having some dropouts, but he is uh, Bizan is in Hong Kong, so um, you'll have to bear with us on that one. Sorry, listeners. Yeah, we'll, we'll try and edit it in a way where we can cut out a lot of the interference, uh, so that it's it's easier to to flow. If possible. <laughs> yeah, if, if possible. Yeah, uh, and a lot of the screaming background from 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 the kids who are getting a little bit too hard practice on on Minecraft. Um, okay, so so if I if I understand correctly, one of the main differences that you found between the different industries is while you have hardworking um, crew members um, in both the American and the British film industry, it it is taken to it is it is taken it is increased on a different well, on level. level. On another level, when it comes to the Asian, to the Asian industry, because there are a lot more people who are who throw themselves fully into the work. And I, again, it's not disparaging what the British and the and the Americans do, but there are more. The, the the infrastructure is set in place where it sort of essentially demands for people to to put more in, as opposed yeah. to uh, uh, just getting that back. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I mean, again, we're not disparaging the work ethic, and I. I've always said to, the, to my UK team, I'm, I'm still keen to work with them, especially on these international projects. Um, but in terms of the teams I've been operating with in Asia, uh, it's just this resilient work ethic, um, this culture of, 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 of being success-oriented in the sense that they want to achieve, they want to fulfill the original vision intended. Um, so they're less in terms of let's compromise and just do this. It's more a case of, no, we had this, we wanted to do this, let's do it. And, uh, and it's wonderful to see that. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus D. Ako. 
You're on mute, David. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I'm David Campbell. I cut that away. <laughs> no, it's, of course I'm David Campbell. I'm, I'm going to force you to keep that bit in. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> and, and we have with us uh, filmmaker and executive producer at Asia TV, Bijang Tong. It's great to now add that to the, to the list of titles that you're, that you're going to be adding. I, I've always said, I've always said, since the first day we met where we had a conversation in the studio and we've spoken um, subsequently, I've always basically charted your meteoric rise uh, in, in the industry um, with, your first, with your first feature film, um, the uh, connections you had made after that and you were building and your work ethic as well. Basically, uh, it, it was clear that this was the trajectory you were going in. Now, as along with that meteoric rise and with your sort of scope of what films you wanted to do that you were talking about, because you have a wide range of, of scope, do you see working in Asia, in Asian film cinema or Asian film industry as any sort of restriction to some of the ideas that you may have? Or do you feel that actually um, the sort of the trend in the Asian industry is actually uh, broader than we think? and you're actually going to have the opportunity to, to expand to whatever genre you want to take? Um, yeah, I would say, well, I mean, we've seen uh, in terms of what we've seen with the uh, content within Asia, and obviously recently we had Parasite, and that really touched uh, is universal uh, with, with class system and so forth. Um, so I actually saw it as being broader in scope in terms of the vision which I had, what I wanted to do, what I wanted to accomplish. Um, there's a lot more scope in what can be done here in Asia. At the same time, what's interesting is the Hong Kong industry isn't what it used to be. I mean, when you had, obviously, John Woo films during that time and uh, Jackie Chan and so forth, and it's not, I think, since Infernal Affairs, we haven't seen as big as it once was, but I think it's going back on the rise. Uh, I mean, I've looked at what the governments are doing, what filmmakers are doing, and I think there's been a push, a greater push towards trying to create more in-house homegrown movies again. Um, and so it's what you have to do to, to see that be part of that wave that's moving back up. Uh, and yeah, so I've got various ideas, uh, again, for a local Let's see, as long as there's an audience for it, let's definitely discuss talking about that. Okay. Um, and so it's been, it's been wonderful. Okay. Uh I'm just going to um, pick up on a little point there. One of the most successful films last year was a film called Wandering Earth, which I saw, and it's uh, available on Netflix. Um, and I rabbited on about it last year. So if you haven't seen it, it's available on Netflix. Go and look at it. One of the things that struck me was, um, as far as I was concerned, I could have been watching a Hollywood movie. That was how, how well done it was. I thought I was watching a Hollywood movie. Um, except it was in Chinese. Now, the thing that strikes me again is that it was the third most successful movie on the planet last year. It took over 700 million, blah, 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 blah. But there was hardly any advertising for it. There was no sort of like a big deal about it. It seemed to be that if you didn't know about it, you wouldn't see it. And I was just fortunate to come across it. How are you going to get people interested in your films your shows over here i mean you've got a massive market over there and it's like you don't really need this market here but how are you going to get people who are not chinese native speakers to view your content 
Yeah. No, I agree. Um, that's part of a challenge. Obviously, you can say good marketing PR, but at the same time, uh, what I would say is over the past few years, and I'm, I'm grateful to Netflix for this, people have become more open-minded towards foreign films. I mean, the casual mainstream audience uh, have become more open to that because we're seeing the success of shows like Narcos, people are, or Money Heist and, and so on. And, you know, we're more inclined towards taking the time to watch a foreign show, read the subtitles as long as it's good. And so for that reason, uh, I think as long as a film is good or as long as a series is good, uh, if it's on the right platform, uh, so we always use Netflix or Apple, then people will be more inclined to watch. Uh, so yeah, as it's really about the content. Uh, I watched a movie last weekend, a Hong Kong film called Beyond the Dream. And again, the quality was phenomenal. And then, and it was about mental health and it was a beautiful film. And I, I'm almost certain at some point you'll get a Hollywood remake. Um, but uh, what surprised me was the budget because I asked and I was told it was uh, equivalent of 300,000 pounds. It looks like it's about $6 million. And uh, again, that's another thing in Hong Kong and China, obviously the, the budget is a lot less, but they can do so much more with it. And when you're in certain countries, it's a lot cheaper to make, but also the innovativeness. Uh, of what can be done uh, down there. Uh, so yes, uh, you know, people coming in, they want something that's, that looks, maybe not flashy, but they, that looks good and that is actually touching you emotionally and which is a great story. Um, then you'll be looking around the world. You just want to hear if it's good. And the word about Can you just say that again? Say that again? <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, uh, also again, oh, uh, no, good format, yeah. Yeah. a good movie, yeah, good story, um, good word of mouth, and good marketing or PR. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now you mentioned you touched upon a, a point as well where you mentioned that uh, that the it was a beyond the dream that you said that you yeah. saw recently. So beyond the yeah. dream, and you, you you made a comment which sort of while you were flippant about it is kind of um, is is what we've actually experienced in the industry where. A great, a great movie is made, it's usually a foreign movie that's made, and not many people get to hear about it until Hollywood steps in and remakes that movie. Yeah. Uh, you talked about Beyond Dream. Uh, you also mentioned Infernal Affairs earlier, which was obviously remade as The Departed, um, almost scene for scene, if you will, but obviously yeah. The Departed got its uh, Oscar you know, nominations and Oscar awards, and is far more um, you know, worldwide known than Infernal Affairs, which I think is a, is a great trilogy as well. I mean, I, I, trust me, later on in this show, you're going to be hearing about both Infernal Affairs and Departed. We'll talk about that another time. But anyway, um, so one, one of the sort of trends I've noticed, especially with the, uh, the increase or the emergence of Chinese cinema in, in, you know, in more mainstream uh, consciousness is... It, more from more from a framing from, from a Hollywood framing. So you will have a Hollywood movie. Take a, for example a Michael Bay movie, which will start off in America, and the last quarter of the movie will be set in Asia. Um, and, and that's usually kind of how those the Hollywood movies have been bringing in the Chinese influence to the into the into the mainstream consciousness. Um, with regards to having. Chinese-led movies actually lead in consciousness. Oh, I'd say Chinese. I want to broaden it to Asia because I want to include the success of Parasite last year uh, yeah. with Bong Joon-ho's uh, uh, Oscar award-winning Parasite. Do you feel 
that, that, that that is the start of uh, an increasing trend where we'll be getting more um, you know Asia uh, Asian films uh, as opposed to films from the Hollywood perspective of Asia coming into the mainstream. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so with respect to Asian films, as in, yeah, without remaking them, I believe that there's now a greater appetite from audiences again to watch foreign films. And in terms of how mainstream and how successful Parasite was, there'll be more casual filmgoers who'd be looking out for other you know, successful Asian films to be, uh, to, to be looking out for as in terms of, okay, this should be a good movie to watch. I've heard it's good. Um, so yes, I definitely see the doors for more foreign content to, to come in, whether it's in the cinemas, whether it's on Netflix and so forth, and for an audience to, to be watched. Um, Hollywood remakes. And uh, to disclose a couple, something, I am actually working on a Hollywood remake of a Korean film. <laughs> it's one of the projects which I'm doing. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, and that'll be yeah, pure Hollywood with some big people involved. Um, but it's, yeah, it's an, oh, by the way, I'll say it, a remake of Oasis. Um, 2002 Korean film about a man with uh, mental health issues who falls in love with a woman with cerebral palsy. And so I've been in talks with Atlas Entertainment to produce uh, Wonder Woman uh, DC movies uh, because even though it's nothing like that, it's not a superhero film, it's a very powerful drama. Um, this is something we were all touched by and so we wanted to do something there. Uh, so yeah, we've been talk in talks to, to make this movie. So is, that, so is that a Hollywood remake of the Korean movie? A Korean movie, yeah. Okay. Uh, do you uh, now that you're in the you're in a position uh, to do so? Are you going to remake a Hollywood movie into uh, an Asia specific uh, sort of? For the Asia uh, we are in talks for that. I can't say it yet because we're still in negotiations. <laughs> but we are, and uh, once I save a movie, uh, or at least the people involved. But yeah, we are. Hopefully, I'll know in the next coming days. I mean, one thing I can say is. Everyone involved has been very positive in this, including the original writer of this Hollywood film, who's involved in this. Uh, so yeah, so we are looking to do that because we always see the, that trend of we make an Asian film in Hollywood. And so I'm watching these projects. So I'm thinking, you know, we could make an Asian spin on it. Uh, and so, yeah, and even the escort. So my own movie, my own debut feature, um, we're remaking it. So in January, uh, we're, working, uh, we're looking to shoot studio film. Uh, an Asian remake of The Escort. Uh, we're right now, or I'm right now working with a Hong Kong screenwriter. We're trying to localize what to reflect the Asian culture. So original, original film was about the West and relationships and sex and the escort industry and so on. And so what I'm trying to do is look at the East and look at the culture there, whether it's the housing, um, the walk up uh, arranged marriages, uh, all these different factors that, that exist with regards to Asia, with respect to relationships, sex, and escorting, which I to put that into this movie. Uh, so yeah, so I'm doing a remake of my own film. Are, are you going to cast uh, Kevin Leslie and Olivia in, <laughs> in, in the remake? I tried, but he, he doesn't speak Cantonese yet. So once he does, yeah. <laughs> You can have them as cameos where you just include an extra scene where a mailman comes in, knocks on the door, hands, and it happens to be Kevin, Handing <laughs> an envelope to uh, you know to the main character, and he just looks at camera and walks away, or something like that. Yeah, watch out, please, man. Marcus is um, bucking for a job as screenwriter here. You know what I mean? You know, look. Okay, <laughs> hold on. You're, you, you, let's let's wrap this segment up first. You, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm David Campbell. This time. Uh, and, 
at this time. Yes, no, no muting yourself this time. No muting. Um, no, 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 I'm mute. And we're just wrapping up this segment uh, with friend of the show, prolific filmmaker, uh, now um, emerging or uh, sort of, um, yeah, yeah, emerging film mogul, Bijang Tong, uh, executive producer at Asia TV. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know we're going to be wrapping up on Zoom. Uh, and uh, producer Dave kind of hinted towards it. It's like, you know, me vying for a position in your, in, in your infrastructure, in your organization, which is what I always seem to do whenever you're, you're, you're in. It's like the first time you came in, it was, yeah, I've got a project I should pitch to you. The second time you came in, it was like, oh, I've written a character for you. It's like, yeah, that's great. And now, so just rather than keeping it just for myself, for producer Dave and for anybody else listening, um, what sort of uh, job roles are available now that you are such a powerful mogul in Asia TV? <laughs> um, well, in Asia, I'll say that if you, well, if you have a good concept, you have good content. Obviously, we're not looking for a giant $100 million blockbuster. <laughs> but as long as something was reasonable, we'd be open to hearing it. And then we could even potentially look to yeah, to get you involved in, in writing, directing in various different capacities. Uh, so yeah, and obviously we're looking at actors. Um, so that's all in Asia, in the UK, in the US. Um, we've got, um, so we're building this fund. Uh, we've got some major projects in there. At the same time, again, we're not, you know, we're not classist. It's not a case of it has to be a studio project. If you have a good idea for a story which has a socially relevant theme, we'd like to hear it. Um, if, and uh, what we'll do is, as a team, we always review these, these projects and then we decide, you know, maybe not now, it's either a no or yes or not yet. Um, but we are very much open-minded. Uh, so yeah, and these international projects which I've mentioned, so that one being international in scope, we'll be looking to hire people, we'll be looking to hire um, actors, writers, directors and so forth. Uh, so yeah, it's very, very open. I, my own belief is I want to support. So how do people get to um, know, do get to contact you, contact uh, the team, get to you know, read more about the fund that you're setting up? How do they get to know more about you and Asia TV? Um, I would say either go on, um, I have to find the Asia TV website, <laughs> but uh, let's say actually, well, that's going to be in Cantonese. Uh, just contact me on Twitter. <laughs> I will respond. <laughs> contact me on Twitter. Or just learn Cantonese and then read the, the website. Uh, it's, do, put the legwork in. So, uh, <laughs> Bijang, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, and we, again, we'll do our best to try and get you on whenever, we know you're extremely busy. Whenever you're free, let us know and we'll happily get you on the show again. I do want to say one thing. Um, I didn't yeah. actually mention this yet. I'm shooting another feature as well besides the escort. Uh, so this is actually, most of it we're shooting in the UK. We're shooting part of it in Hong Kong and not because of a Michael Bay <laughs> approach of trying to get the Hong Kong audience. <laughs> Um, but it was actually inspired by what's been going on this year. Um, so I wrote it during lockdown, um, and then we obviously had this pandemic, and we've had uh, the George Floyd uh, tragedy. Uh, so I ended up writing a script called Lockdown, uh, which is about an alt-right actor uh, who go enters a Zoom edition, uh, except a person on the other end uh, tells him that he has to pass a series of tests, or else the people around him will die. And it's a phone booth for a Zoom generation. One of my favorite thrillers yeah. was phone booth. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're doing that. Uh, Kevin, Kevin Leslie has been cast uh, as the alt-right actor. Um, Olivia Moles is back, this time playing his sister. 
Um, and we're, yeah, we're right now busy casting the, the cast. Uh, we've just, as of today, hired um, our actress for the Hong Kong side because we'll be shooting it again in, uh, in the UK and Hong Kong. And yeah, it's going to be a thriller. We're shooting in October to, to release next year. Okay, that sounds like, um, Marcus, you're the mailman. I do. I, <laughs> I've already pitched my role there. So this is literally <laughs> someone knocks on the door. I come, I do delivery. And I'll just, I'll do my best not to stare at the, the camera lens. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So we'll be looking out for that one as well. When, you, when you're progressing with that, Vijay, please come on the show to talk more about it. My pleasure. I'd love to. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm Laura Sampton. And I'm David Campbell. So we've uh, gone through, we've already done our spoiler uh, bit with Black Klansman. Now we're going to jump into our Top five favorites. So our top five favorites this week is going to be undercover characters or rather films about undercover characters. Now that doesn't have to be undercover in the sense of just in the police force. Uh, it could be anyone who's pretending to be someone else. So uh, we have different e e examples that we're going to throw in. We'll go around the room. It's just the three of us, myself, Laura Sampson, and da uh, producer Dave, David Campbell. Uh, we'll start ladies first. Uh, Laura, would you like to give us your number five and num number four favorite under char undercover character movies? Yes, I would. My number five and number four could have been so different, but I realised in the end that all my favourite undercover movies, almost all, are actually romantic comedies from the late 90s, early 2000s, which is when I was first into romantic comedies. So, um, so yeah, sorry for people who really, really rate um, Rotten Tomatoes ratings. Sorry in advance, because these don't have great ratings. My number five is Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, it's especially now it's quite problematic in quite a lot of ways um, because of the way the undercover thing happens and the way it's revealed. But it is Robin Williams doing one of his last like great, mostly improvised comedy roles. So uh, love it. Sorry to all the naysayers. Uh, my number four is Never Been Kissed, um, which is a romantic comedy starring Drew Barrymore as a journalist who goes undercover as a high school student. Um, and throughout the film, it's revealed that she never had the full high school experience, which she ends up having by the end. And it's just a really heartwarming, uh, lovely film. I'm not saying it's the most uh, intellectually engaging film in the world, but I found it really, really charming. And um, the way that she gets revealed at the end is kind of lovely. So that's my number five and number four. So swinging out the bat, uh, swinging out to bat, uh, Laura, you go romantic comedies is your number five and four, Mrs. Doubtfire and Never Been Kissed. Producer Dave, what's your number five and four? My number five is actually a TV show and it's called Chuck. Uh, if you've ever watched Chuck, you know it stars uh, Zachary Levy, who you might know from Shazam, as a uh, a 
average computer whiz next door geezer who works in Better Buy, uh, who has in his brain the intersect. And uh, I'll stop there because uh, we haven't got very much time, so I won't go into it. But it went over five seasons. And uh, yeah, action, comedy, drama, spy uh, thing. Um, number, number five is Chuck. Number four is a double header. Sister Act, which is fairly famous um, with a, a character going undercover in a nunnery. Um, it's been on TV many a time. I don't need to really go into it, you know, how famous it is. It spawned a, um, a sequel, Sister Act 2. And it's, I've paired that with Undercover Brother. Um, if you've ever seen that film, you know, I can see Marcus laughing. It's, it's a really, really funny comedy drama, well, comedy, basically, about a man who goes undercover to um, spy on the man and uh, yeah, that's all I'll say about it. I, I heartily recommend that you do watch it. It's set in the 70s. It's, uh, it's a, a P-take of black exploitation films. Um, the, the, the high-heeled shoes and the, the, the wedge shoes are beautifully done. I'm, I'm just going to say, watch it. You'll love it. So my number five, Chuck, and number four, Double Header, Undercover Brother, and Sister Act. Excellent. Thank you, Producer Dave. Okay, so my number five, again, we went into, I only kept it uh, film. I didn't go into TV um, because I would have been lost for days just going through TV stuff. The five films, I wanted to try and stay away from, uh, from cops going undercover, but I had to put them in there. So I, I put th uh, two together that would basically reflect this one uh, aspect, although it comes up again later on. So my number five is a double header. I've got Face Off and Donnie Brasco. So Face Off, you have Nick Cage and John, John Travolta, uh, John Woo film. The reason why I included that as undercover is because you actually have the two characters swap faces, right? So you have the cop um, played by John Travolta and the criminal played by Nicolas Cage. And they have to swap, the plot conveniences mean they have to swap faces and go undercover in each other's lives. And that's basically a double swap. Well, that's why I put that on there. While Donnie Brasco, Johnny Depp, Al Pacino, James Madsen, it's basically, you see, it's a true life story of uh, a, an undercover agent who goes undercover with the mob uh, in the 90s, uh, actually 80s. Uh, and it's, it's a great film. It's one of the first memories I have of Johnny Depp on screen, and he is just fantastic. So that's my number five, it's a double header, uh, Face Off and Donnie Brasco. My number four, I decided to go uh, romance as well. And for me, there's no romance film that I love better when it comes to the undercover stuff than The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride has uh, Wesley, the main character Wesley, who is lost at sea. He's, uh, he's feared to have been killed by the dreaded pirate Roberts. But then he comes back as the dreaded pirate Roberts um, and he's undercover when he kidnaps his, uh, the love of his life, um, the princess. And it's just, he's undercover until he finally reveals to her who he is. And it's just fantastic. Uh, the Princess Bride is my number four. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm Laura Sampson. I'm David Campbell. And we're talking I'm about... Laura Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. 
I, we're talking about our top five favorite undercover films or films about undercover characters. Laura, what is your number three and number two? My number three is actually also The Princess Bride. Um, I read it as a book first, and the book is kind of even more meta than the film. Um, you know, it's written by William Goldman, who's quite a famous um, screenwriter, and he writes it as if he's sort of writing a book about writing the screenplay, about writing the book. So there's loads and loads of ins and outs, twists and turns, but the film is brilliant as well. So that can be my number three. My number two, oh, I, um, I had to toss a coin between, um, between one, another film and these two, but like you, David, um, Sister Act and Sister Act 2 sort of as a kind of conglomeration is my number two. I've watched Sister Act 2 so many times. Uh, I don't know if listeners know, I don't know if I've told you before, but I am an extremely avid member of a gospel choir. And one of the reasons that I'm a member of that gospel choir is probably because of Sister Act 2, the whole um, plot line with Lauren Hill wanting to be a singer. Lauren Hill, Rita, her character is called, uh, played by Lauren Hill, wanting to become a singer. And she's really brilliant. And she has all of these wonderful singing moments with her singing friends who are really naughty, but they get really nice. Um, yeah, it's really an inspiration to my um, musical life. So, Sister Act and Sister Act 2. So, number, your number three was Princess Bride, Sister Act and Sister Act 2. Um, I, I'll have to say, with Sister Act, funnily enough, the, all the songs that were in Sister Act, obviously the whole idea is that um, Whoopi Goldberg's character goes to the Joinders Nunnery and she gets the choir to sing, uh, you know, um, soul songs uh, in the style of gospel. And those were the first, those, that was my first experience of those songs. I, I it was watching those. I thought those were the, that's what she was doing before. And then I listened to the original songs and that's how I got to know those songs. So love Sister Act. It's not on my list though. Let's go to Producer Dave. Producer Dave, what's your number three and two? My number three is a double header again. Um, Serpico, two cop films, Serpico and Training Day. Serpico, I'm not going to go into Serpico, uh, Training Day because it's a, a rec more recent film. Serpico was done in the um, 70s, I think it was, uh, starring Al Pacino. And it's about an undercover cop. Uh, he's undercover from uh, his own department. He works in eternal affairs and he goes undercover to expose corruption in the NYPD of that time, because it, at that time it was very, very well known that it was a corrupt um, force. And it's, it's a very, very, very hard hitting film. Um, if you've never seen it, I recommend it immensely. So yeah, yeah okay. I see that, uh, that Marcus has got a few issues with that, but uh, that's my number three. Training Day and Serpico. My number, my number two is Reservoir Dogs. Um, Quentin Tarantino, Heist Gone Wrong. One of the members of the team that involved in the heist is under, undercover and it plays out so you can find out who is the person undercover. Again, very famous film. It's a cult film. It was one of Tarantino's first 
big hits and yeah you should have seen it by now so if you if you haven't i'm sorry but yeah those are my three three and two excellent thank you so producer dave you gave number three as a double header serpico and training day and number two was reservoir dogs let me just make a point about uh serpico the reason i put my hand up in the video isn't because i took i took issue with what you said it's because Serpico is one. It's on the list of classic films that I haven't seen yet that I want to see. And I, because every time every, anyone references Al Pacino and his early body of work to show that he was an, how, how much of a uh, of a class he was in, on, his, on his own or in a class of his own as an actor, Serpico is always pulled up. I had the chance to watch it and missed that chance. And I, I've been dreading. I, I want to go back and I want to watch uh, Serpico. I will do my best to watch it before um, the end of this year, definitely. And Reservoir Dogs was going to be on my list. In fact, it was, it was on the list as number two, but I had to drop it off because I already have a double header. And I know I could do a triple header, but I don't want to do that. So I'll just do a double header for number two. Anyway, my number three, kind of a romantic uh, comedy as well, but more comedy than romance, Coming to America. You have Eddie Murphy uh, and, yeah, yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, what what is what's the other actor? Um, oh, the, the Asinio oh. Hall. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, Eddie Murphy and Asinio Hall. Uh, Eddie Murphy is a as an African prince uh, from a very wealthy uh, African country, and uh, Asinio Hall plays his like his bodyguard slash right hand man, and they come to America because uh, Eddie Murphy's character I can't remember his name, but he comes to America to Hakim Prince Hakim. So Prince Hakim comes to America to find a, a bride um, and they have to go undercover because he doesn't want people to know uh, where he comes from, is how rich he is, because he wants to marry somebody who will marry him for him, not for his wealth. Uh, so he goes undercover as, you know, uh, an immigrant, effectively. Uh, it's a brilliant, it stands, it still stands up to, till today. It's a great film. I can't wait to see uh, the part two. I want to see what they do with it. Um, and, and I think Eddie Murphy has returned to form with Dolomite is my name. And so I think it's a great film. That's my number three coming to America. My number two, double header. And it's a double header because it's the same movie, if you will. Um, Infernal Affairs, which is a trilogy of movies. Uh, a, an a, it's a Asian, I, I believe Thai, it's either Taiwan. I, no, it's not Taiwan, but I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll find out where it is. But it's an Asian uh, movie, um, Asian trilogy. Infernal Affairs and the American remake, which is The Departed. The Martin Scorsese Departed movie uh, is basically a remake of the trilogy of Infernal Affairs, combines all three movies into one. It, both sets of stories are about two people who are basically undercover in different areas. So you have um, a police officer who is pulled out of the uh, being a recruit so that he can go and become undercover in the Irish mob. And you have uh, the Irish mobster played by uh, um, Jack Nicholson, who gets one of his younger recruits, played by Matt Damon, to actually infiltrate the police in the, uh, to rise through the police ranks. So you have both characters rising through the ranks in their respective um, organizations, one through the police force, although he's a criminal, and the other through the criminal underworld, even though he's a police officer. And it's a, both movies, just or both sets of movies, fantastic. That's my number two. So my number three, Coming to America. My number two, Infernal Affairs and The Departed. 
Now, we, you listen to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. We're going around now and saying our top uh, number one favorite movies about undercover characters. Laura Sampson, what is your number one? You've reminded me of so many more films that I could have chosen. Oh, do you remember Brewster's Millions? Does that count as undercover if a normal person goes undercover as a millionaire to become a millionaire? Anyway, my number one is, of course, Black Klansman. As is mine. <laughs> As is mine. Oh, what what you 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 guys can't see is producer, we're running out of time. Producer Dave is rapping over all us off. He's like, stop talking, stop talking, just keep going, keep going. But it seems it's unanimous. All three have Black Klansman as our number one undercover car- uh, character movie. Um, just want to uh, just want to give a sh- um, Laura. You had a shout out that you wanted to give before we wrap up. Yes, we want to give a shout out to Lucy Buglas, who is the um, the mastermind of the film blog Lucy Goes to Hollywood, who has just been selected as a Rotten Tomatoes accredited reviewer. Uh, that happened this week, and it's been all over social media. Everyone's delighted, and but not as delighted as she is. Absolutely, Lucy. Congratulations! It's a big it's a big step up. I love your blogs. Um, uh, it, uh, you've made me want to go and watch a number of movies. I've actually gone and watched a number of movies based on your recommendation. Love your your work as it is. Congratulations on being accredited by Rotten Tomatoes. Um, we're wrapping up. Next week is going to be the last episode we do for a while. We're going to take a break on the on 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 uh, Resonance FM. We'll take a break over the month of August, uh, and then we'll come back in September stronger than ever with more interviews, with more top five favorites and a whole bunch of other stuff that we're going to be talking about. So just want to say thank you all for continuing to listen to us ramble about our favorite films and TV shows. Uh, we hope you're all keeping safe. It is, although things seem to have eased off a bit, it, there is still danger lurking out there. So please still continue to stay safe, keep social distancing, wear masks, wash hands, do your best to stay safe and do your best to stay sane. I have been Marcus E. Akko. I've been Laura Sampson. I'm David Campbell. And you've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. We want to say thank you very much for listening. And for the last time in a while, see you next week. Well, the last while, because we're doing one more episode and then the last time in a while. Yeah, so this is the last time I can say see you next week. Right? Oh. Sure. I see your point. Yes. Okay. And I just, I just trampled over to the five. Do you think you want to go with five again? No, I'm just going to let the music come, come in and, and fade me out. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye.